God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this first Sunday in Lent through Jesus Christ our Lord. William McLeod feels bad for his teacher, the fourth grade student at Valley View Elementary School in Bountiful, Utah, was asked to remove the ashes from his forehead because it wasn't appropriate. He told her, I'm Catholic. It's Ash Wednesday. It's what we do. But it fell on deaf ears, and the teacher took him off to the side and made him wipe it off. When William's grandmother found out about it, she complained to the school And the teacher later apologized and was placed on administrative leave. But I bring this up not to criticize the teacher. I mean, I feel bad for her too. This is a hard lesson for her on being an ambassador of diversity and tolerance as a public school teacher. And I bring it up because William's experience is something many Christians experience and in a way can serve to show us what the whole Christian church in Europe and America is experiencing. William was born in and raised in the Catholic Church, and you can tell by his confession, he saw his world and himself in it a certain way. And now that way has changed. I saw this in my own children, and maybe you have with yours as well. William's view of the world and himself in it was challenged from outside, and now he has to think. He has to conceive in his mind and heart now what Christianity is, and he will for the rest of his life. We raised our kids in Lutheran schools, and Alex, when he was about seven, his class wrote to other kids living in South America. And he gets this letter back one day from a kid who tells him, I don't believe in God, I don't love Jesus. Alex was crushed, very upset. His view of the world up to that point was God was true. He assumed that without questioning. But that unbelieving kid put the idea in his head that the highest value, being God, could be devalued as much as a seven-year-old can grasp that, you know, in his case, with sadness. Now, for people like me, who God picked up later in their life and put on the path to heaven, I had to conceive in my mind what Christianity was from the start. The story of God and what He had done and continues to do competed with what I already knew and assumed about the world and myself. Does this sound familiar at all? If not for you, then maybe for someone else you wish had faith in Jesus? When you're a child being raised in the holy ark of the Christian church, as our catechism puts it, you're going to reach a moment in your life when the highest value you assumed about this world that God is everything, not only to you, but to everyone else, will be challenged. Those of us who came to believe later in life have already experienced it. Yet we can still all confess the true God. Confessing the truth 
means rejecting the false at the same time. Do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? Well, do you? Good. Think about it. Talk about a, a competing view of the world. Even among Christians, most especially in America and Europe, <clears throat> Satan is ignored because of a lapse in confession of the truth, among other reasons. There's a solution to this, though, and it can be found in our gospel reading today. In this account of Jesus, we get a good glimpse of the nature of truth and lies. The ultimate goal of Satan is unbelief in God and Him. The first commandment is where Satan wants to undo us. If we keep God as our highest value, though, the rest of the devil's activities are more easily detected. But there's still a problem. We've all been affected by the fall of creation, and there's sin outside of us and inside. And they play on the devil's schemes. The devil had a scheme against Jesus. Uh, this scheme in the wilderness was a well-thought-out, well-planned attack on Satan's part. But it failed. See, Jesus does not give in to temptation. But Satan's got a similar scheme against us. And historically speaking, the church's way of countering these attacks, these uh, temptations, falls into four remedies. The first three are remedies that have their own problems. So let's look at them. The first remedy, Scripture and Tradition. This remedy has always been problematic because human traditions distort the Word of God no matter how good one's intentions are. Look at the Reformation. Right? Some of the traditions of the church, like indulgences, had become so noxious, so poisonous, as to actually be a hindrance to faith and life. Now, certain traditions, though, themselves may not necessarily be flawed, such as Ash Wednesday, because it enriches the message of the resurrection. And as our young brother in Christ, William McLeod, experienced just the other day, having a cross made of ashes on your forehead functions very well as a physical mark of one's identity in Jesus and boldly proclaims that identity to an ignorant and intolerant world. The second remedy, Scripture and logic. I don't know how many of us actually do this, but when you employ logic to make the gospel of Jesus more attractive to someone or a certain group, like academics or the scientific community, you'd better be good at it. And you'd better know what you're doing because there are many traps of the devil. Satan will use logic to his advantage. And the responsibility to win people over to Jesus shifts too much onto our shoulders rather than waiting on God and trusting Him to change people's hearts to believe. The next remedy, 
Scripture and manipulation. Certain sectors of the church manipulate the truth of Scripture with unfortunate, tragic results. When the surface label of Christianity is peeled away, the line between worshiping God and some idol gets blurry. For example, the, these churches uh, and TV evangelists who preach that miracles are an end to themselves, you know, they're the target, they're the goal that you must get. They do this to the point they even fake the miracles in order to get people to believe them. Jesus didn't give in to this temptation, as you heard for yourself. Properly understood, miracles are there to confirm faith when it's according to God's will, not to define faith, as in, you know, a miracle has to happen in your life in order for you to believe. Now, we've heard it said that our conversion to faith by the Holy Spirit is a miracle. Well, then if that's the case, then it is God's will that you be His child and be saved, and it's the miracle you needed, right? Because everything after baptism, you have eternal life. What else do you require? And the final remedy, Scripture alone. The, the other remedies we just looked at have flaws. This one's the only sure one. And thankfully, a, a large part of the Christian church in America and Europe keeps this remedy against the devil close at hand. Allow me to give a shameless plug for the Lutherans and any other body of the church that confesses, practices, and really takes this to heart. It's through the Bible. Every word from the mouth of God in it that we can confess with our mouths, with our mouths, and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord of all. Satan will attack us against this one as well, especially in our times of weakness and suffering. When we think, did God really say that? Is he for me? Am I really worthy? Have I done enough? I could go on at length with the temptations to believe the lies. Yet, it's in those times of weakness and suffering we see God's love for us. Because this is the way of the cross. Through weakness and suffering and the cross, we come to God as He has already come to us in Jesus. The temptation of Jesus gives us a glimpse of how the devil works in the world. He takes what appears to be the truth and turns it into something that's false. Creating unbelief is the first step in all his schemes. But remember, Jesus has named him the father of all lies. As imperfect human beings, we're prone to add something to Scripture to counter any temptation. When this happens, Satan gets the upper hand, so that's why we confess the truth with the creeds, especially, and renounce the false through God's word, which brings life and salvation and helps us to overcome the temptations of the devil. It's the Lord, after all, whom we worship. And he has won the victory over Satan and sin and death. So rejoice over that. 
and take it all in. Just remember, don't rejoice too much because it's Lent, right? And we just started the season of Lent. Behold the man, as you heard me say on Ash Wednesday. That's the theme for this Lent. Pontius Pilate said, Behold the man. And we're going to follow Pilate's advice and look at Jesus the man, our brother and God, who ate nothing for 40 days for you. That you would know that you don't live on food alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Behold the man who was tempted in the wilderness for you, that you would rely on him, the word made flesh as the remedy for Satan's attacks. Amen.